This is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by Marshall University, committed to teaching, research, and professional training with degree programs in multiple locations and online. More about the Marshall family at marshall.edu. Embassy Suites by Hilton Charleston, an all-suite hotel and conference center minutes from Yeager Airport and Capital Market. Reservations and brasserie dining information available at hilton.com. Segra, providing fiber-based communication solutions. Segra, freedom to grow. More information at segra.com. Welcome back to the legislature today. I'm Bob Brunner. Thanks for joining us. According to a food bank network, Feeding America, one in every eight people in West Virginia are facing hunger every day. As Chris Scholes reports, advocates brought the issue to legislators today. As I remember voting, as I remember voting, just said the clerk closed machine ascertain the results. On this question, 32 yeas, zero nays, two absent not voting. More than a majority of those present voting, having voted in affirmative, I declare the resolution adopted. The Facing Hunger Food Bank estimates they serve 130,000 West Virginians each year. Mountaineer Food Bank estimates more than 200,000 West Virginians struggle with food insecurity every day. With the rising cost of food only worsening hunger in the state, both organizations were at the legislature Thursday to advocate for solutions. Chad Morrison is the chief executive officer of Mountaineer Food Bank. Well, this day is really about our hungry neighbors. You know, uh, the, the folks out there are struggling and the need for food at, is at an all-time high. And we want to be here at the Capitol to, to make sure that our legislators know that that need's out there, that it's consistent. Um, we're seeing record numbers of people. We're seeing record numbers of food. And right now it's a real struggle for us to meet all those needs. The U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics reported food costs increased more than 10 percent in 2022. Morrison said the legislature can help by increasing the resources available to food banks and pantries and facilitate connections to local producers to reduce cost and keep spending in the community. Food and use for them to get engaged and we're hopeful, we're hopeful that this year that there is another work group um, around hunger as there was last session and that's going to spur some more discussions about food insecurity in the state. Liv Brunello and Joanna Switala are part of the Voices of Hunger group from the Food for All Coalition. I think it's a really aspirational title, you know, like we want West Virginia to be hunger free. At the same time, you know, you see this quilt behind us. Um, it's a patchwork effort, you know, it's it's volunteers and senior citizens and people from, you know, all different parts of the community coming together to try to figure it out. But we believe in a future, you know, we, we're trying to vision into the future, you know, where food is recognized as a human right by our state, where people really are hunger free, where we don't need to patchwork everything together, where everyone has you know, nutritious, um, affordable access to the food that they and their family want to eat. Brunello said she wants to see the legislature and the state as a whole take more aggressive action, such as passing an amendment to the state constitution declaring food a human right. For now, the legislature is sticking to more immediate action, 
Earlier in the morning, the Senate Education Committee advanced Senate Bill 306, which would establish the Summer Feeding for All program. Committee Chair Senator Amy Grady, Republican of Mason County, is the bill's co-sponsor. She said the bill will hopefully help communities and schools better identify hungry students and how best to help them. Thank you. So the summer feeding program isn't really a program that necessarily where the counties go out and feed students. Most counties already do that. What it does is it provides an assessment tool to where counties can look and say, do we have food insecurity in certain areas? Do we have organizations, churches, um, community places that are offering to help with this? And if we don't, who can we look to to make sure we're helping or can we use our resources to make sure these kids are fed? Grady said it can be hard for people not involved in the school system to see just how big the issue of hunger is for West Virginia students. As a teacher, she knows that when students are hungry, they have a harder time learning. Improving student success in our schools and that, you know, we're here and we need to be climbing up. We need to bring our students up and we have to understand if their basic needs aren't met, which is hunger, food insecurity, they're not going to be able to learn. And addressing that is taking care of the whole child and giving them the opportunities they need to make sure they are successful. For the legislature today, I'm Chris Schultz. A state coalition of emergency medical service workers brought their causes and concerns to the legislature today. As Randy Yowie explains, recruitment and maintaining mental health. Emergency medical technicians and related personnel came into the Capitol from around the state, at least as many who could break free. West Virginia has lost more than 1,900 EMTs over the past three years. The workforce is short by a third. Clinton Burley, the CEO for HealthNet Medical Transport and Services, says Governor Jim Justice's Answer the Call EMT recruitment program and the streamlining changes in certification and training need to be continued, if not increased. Out of the governor's initiative, we have another 293 new EMTs that are out throughout the state right now and more in training. We've got to continue that process. We've got to work on uh, making continuing education available in rural communities to retain those providers who are out there now. We've got to work at the high school level to make EMS education a core part of what they're doing to get people involved in their community and help EMS and that's what we're working on. Burley is encouraged by state initiatives under consideration to offer more mental health services to stressed, overworked EMTs who see life or death trauma on a regular basis. Mental health crises among EMS providers is at unprecedented levels. This is very difficult work and our providers see people at some of the most challenging moments of their lives and these things stick with them. Being able to tie in mental health into the lifeblood of EMS will help with retention. West Virginia's Emergency Medical Services Coalition was recognized by the House and Senate today as heroes. Almost to a man and woman, boots on the ground EMTs say they're just doing their job. For the legislature today, I'm Randy Yowie. The House Education Committee passed a bill Wednesday to allow teachers to serve as armed school protection officers. Randy Yowie has more on that. The committee approved House Bill 2549 that would allow kindergarten through 12th grade teachers, school administrators and school staff to volunteer as armed SPOs or school protection officers. The identities of the armed staff in the school building would not be revealed. The bill requires that they received handgun training, obtain a concealed carry permit, and undergo additional homeland security training and behavioral health evaluations. 
The bill would allow an SPO to carry a stun gun or a taser in lieu of a firearm. The bill's sponsor, Delegate Doug Smith, a Republican from Mercer County, says joining several other states that have some sort of SPO initiative already will better protect West Virginia students against the formerly unthinkable and now terrifying concern over a mass school shooting. To me, it's another tool in the toolbox for protecting our children. Does it have to be used? No, but it's an option that's there. There's rural, rural schools out there in my county, uh, Matoka. They'll never put a resource office out there because it's an elementary school. And we, we just need to have options available. Delegate Elliot Pridd, a Democrat from Fayette County and a middle school social studies teacher, voted for the bill, saying the fact that it's voluntary was a deciding factor. When I have students in my room during an active shooter drill, to see the looks on their faces, right? Uh, and to realize if this were real and someone were to come through that door and the only thing between me, these kids and the door is me and a couple chairs, that's a terrifying feeling. And there are a lot of caveats in this bill, right? It's voluntary. You have to have a go through training, a, a concealed carry license. Uh, I feel like it's a reasonable bill. Delegate Danielle Walker, a Democrat from Monongalia County, voted against arming teachers, saying there's not enough training for teachers to conceal carry in school. We don't know where that liability insurance is going to be. Not every student in the state of West Virginia has any gun safety knowledge or even knows what a magazine is. And until we make sure that everyone is educated on this and so many unanswered questions, this bill should not be part of any school day for any student, and we should not have these added responsibilities to educators. House Bill 2549 now heads to the House Judiciary Committee. Similar legislation has died in that committee at least twice before. For the legislature today, I'm Randy Yowie. One of the groups in the Capitol Rotunda today was a coalition of minors handing out information on black lung disease. Senator Mike Caputo, a Democrat from Marion County and a former coal miner himself, rose on the Senate floor to address the issue. Thank you, Mr. President. Very briefly, I, uh, I just want to touch on something that coal miners know way too much about, and that's black lung disease. We talked about the folks that are here today, most of them volunteers, bringing awareness to the dreaded black lung disease that most people maybe have never witnessed. But uh, statistics show, I believe, about a thousand miners a year die from dreaded black lung. You know, the, the, the term is pneumoconiosis, but uh, in the coal industry, and if you work down in the ground, Senator, you know it's black lung. That's what we call it, and that's what it is. Some facts about black lung is that uh, new cases continue to occur in our underground mines, especially among younger miners. We're seeing that number on the rise. And the number of, my, uh, of black lung cases with miners over 20 years is also on the rise. And we need to, as a body and as uh, the agencies uh, that are expected to protect the health and safety of miners. We need to do all we can to make sure that dust levels in the mines are at a standard that is acceptable. That's number one. But number two, Mr. President, those who unfortunately get black lungs should be compensated. They work in an industry that supplies the fuel to keep our nation going, and it's just not a good atmosphere. 
the dust is there. You breathe the respirable dust all the time. You breathe the rock dust, the silica from the mining process. Uh, it all is a combination of a, a horrible, horrible disease. Senator Caputo went on to ask that the Senate follow the lead of Majority Leader Tom Takubo, who is a doctor and a pulmonologist. West Virginia has seen a huge jump in companies declaring their intentions to open new manufacturing facilities here, and that means good paying jobs, a majority of which will be open to those without a college degree. But one problem is, do we have enough people here to fill the jobs? Reporter Randy Yoey speaks with Senator Rollin Roberts, a Republican from Raleigh County, and Delegate Evan Worrell, a Republican from Cabell County. They both serve as chairman of their workforce committees in their respective chambers. Thanks so much, Bob. Delegate Worrell and Senator Roberts, thanks so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. You yes. mind if I call you Evan and Rollin? That's fine. Of well, thanks very much. Uh, let's start out with a question on workforce participation. We've got record levels of unemployment, but West Virginia's workforce participation rate is lowest in the country, has been for a long time. What can we do to change that, get people in the workforce, and maybe explain first what workforce participation is? Yeah, so uh, I think the biggest thing about workforce participation is how many people are eligible to work, right? That are, are they working or not working? And I think the biggest issue we see here is uh, what, what are the workforce demands of the state? What are the needs we have in the state? And on the House side, one of the things we're working on is a dual enrollment bill, first and foremost, and what that'll end up doing, and other states have been doing this for years, uh, we're just trying to provide ways for you know, high school graduates to go through the process of earning an associate's degrees, certificates, simulated workplaces, whatever the, placement, whatever the case may be, uh, and get them in the workforce faster. You know, get them interested in the workforce and show them what opportunities there are available to them to get them in the workforce faster. I think that's one avenue of many that there, we could take to help get people in the workforce quicker. There are some dual enrollment classes already. What we want to do is expand that, right? Yep, so, so some counties do that with the current community technical colleges. We want to expand that statewide, provide a funding mechanism because we do see some lower income families that aren't able to participate in, in the dual enrollment classes, as well as the CTE, the career and technical education pieces. And another avenue is also looking at the apprenticeship programs, you know, providing associate's degrees that they earn through that apprenticeship program so that they, it makes our college attainment rates look better as well, which obviously makes West Virginia look more economically viable as well. How about on the Senate side? Well, what we uh, can understand is that the workforce participation rate has ticked up in the last few years uh -huh. from what it was. So we're not still going down with that. I think maybe for many decades we have been at the bottom, but that is, that is changing. I do have some numbers I can throw at you, uh, for instance, uh, West Virginia ranks now 28th in the top two-thirds of the nation, uh, which is five above the national average in personal income increase uh -huh. right now. That's a nice statistic to be able to hear about. Uh, there's another one, and that is that we are in the top 15 of improvement in the number of employees that we have had in the last year. We've had an increase of 120,000 employee positions filled in West Virginia. That is significant across the nation. So we are making some headway, obviously another issue. It's not our topic directly, but indirectly it does uh, apply. And that is the broadband. We have had in, in the last year 130,000 West Virginia residents that have been connected for the first time to broadband. 
that is huge. Well, and since we saw the revelation during COVID of everybody starting to work from home, work from their computer, it's, it has set a whole new mindset up in both the country and I guess the state of West Virginia as well. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned a couple of things in apprenticeships and you flew by that pretty quick. But I've done a couple of stories and find out that West Virginia is fifth in the nation in apprenticeships. And it kind of makes sense to me. And these apprenticeships, I mean, this goes back to the medieval days even. <laughs> but it's not an internship where you're not going to get paid. It's where you're learning that trade. You're getting paid for it. And then when you've learned it and worked your way up the ladder, you've established yourself with a career and a good paying job. How important is it to continue this apprenticeship program that West Virginia is doing so well at? Yeah. So. Correct, and that is a big deal. You earn <clears throat> while you learn. And so that puts people, like I said, on the, on the job site quicker, uh, and they're learning that. But I think the biggest issue we're seeing is that when we see those low college attainment rates, then Speaker Hanshaw has been very great in supporting this. Uh, we, we, I don't think it's taken into consideration individuals who go into the apprenticeship program. So that's one of the reasons we want to look at the associate degrees. And so when we started having this conversation with higher education, we realized these apprenticeship programs might be three to four, sometimes five general education requirements short of, a, of earning an associate's degree. So one of the ways to look at that, once again, is to, find, is to put those classes inside the apprenticeship program, and uh, that will help individuals, once again, earn those associate's degrees. Now, the biggest thing is that we need to make sure that our kids know about these programs. A lot of times information and communication is key, and by allowing these apprenticeship programs inside the high schools and the career and technical education centers, as we're seeing expanded across the state, uh, that's gonna be key to making sure they're aware of the opportunities available to them. Roland, you and I have talked about people with skilled trades being able to qualify for an associate's degree because of what they've done in that skilled trade. And uh, that being a feather in your cap, if you will, to be able to have job advancement, to teach. Uh, and I think you remember you telling me that this may not even need legislation, that it can just happen. I think there are a lot of things that can happen with workforce that, that isn't happening. Uh, we have Workforce West Virginia, for instance, that is kind of at the forefront here. Uh, they have been struggling over the years and they had a terrible, terrible uh, success rate of 14% or something by their own words and assessment. What uh, they have been doing is actively changing things around and I think they are turning a corner. One of those was with legislation that is, I think now it's out of the House, I think it's on, out of the Senate, it's on the House side and it's dealing with the unemployment and how many weeks out and, and having a tiered system and trying to help people that if they can't find a job that is proper uh, income that they want to have, then go take another job while they're looking to get that job and we can compensate them with the, the added funding. We've done all sorts of things like that and I think, I think it's very important. But I will tell you that Workforce West Virginia reports that they have 160, 170 uh, open positions in their own organization. <laughs> So there's a problem with that, you know. They're trying to get the employees in the workforce West Virginia group to be able to help the rest of West Virginia get jobs. That is a problem too. And we can overcome those things. And we're working hard on doing that. Uh, we have uh, with the state of West Virginia, for instance, we have some people that have bachelor's degrees that uh, they're, uh, they're, the requirement for them uh, with the uh, personnel Division of Personnel 
is uh, they, they may make $24,000 a year and they have to have a bachelor's degree to do that. And then we have some people, many people I'm told, that have master's degrees and their pay is at $35,000 a year. And then we get picked on because we have the lowest rate of people that are educated in the nation. Uh, but even in our state, we're not paying them appropriately to draw or to retain those kinds of employees. And I mean, boy, across the board, pay, you know, pay raises, uh, anything about a pay scale that might help any particular endeavor or job or, you know, um, something that, that you're going to do for a living. And, and, and I, I, you know, with all this surplus money we have, it has to, you know, I guess be doled out and, and, and doled out is not the right word, but delineated in, in the proper ways to make sure that the taxpayer is getting the best he, bang that he can get for his buck. Needs to be I mean, prioritized. There you go, thank you. Um, for tourism example, they just said that in tourism they're going to have 24,000 annual job openings to fill because tourism is, is rocking the state right now. It's like, you know, the biggest thing that we have going. I'm not sure how many of those are non-living wage positions. That, that becomes a workforce challenge in itself to try to fill that many jobs, doesn't it? What can you do? Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. That, that's part of the problem because a lot of these are seasonal jobs. And so a big portion of that as well. And I think that's where, you know, one of the ways, and I look at the Ascent program that was started a couple of years ago, uh, you know, moving people here to work remotely, for example, can take seasonal jobs, whatever the case may be. Uh, I know in my position, for example, I work remotely already <clears throat> and uh, I have the time. I could actually even take one of these seasonal jobs. Uh, but I think that's the biggest issue is that they are seasonal. <clears throat> and while tourism is just growing, expanding greatly, which we're excited about, uh, we really need to focus on entrepreneurship and small business ownership, right? Uh, tourism jobs are great and I understand that, but I think there's a lot of potential there for actual entrepreneurship to be, to, to kind of, you know, accelerate and grow as well. Then there's the other side. There's what the governor said, 29 uh, mid-level and major corporations now that are coming to West Virginia. And this, these are skilled trades and, and uh, learned trades and trades that require some more education. And they're going to bring people in supposedly from out of state. So in workforce mm -hmm. development, how are you figuring out how to get jobs, get those jobs filled? Well, for tourism, for instance, is, is wonderful because the lowest performing sector in the workforce is ages 16 through 24. Mm -hmm. It has been that way for a long time. It means that we're not getting them when they're in high school and moving them in the right direction to have a, a meaningful work experience and, and be part of our workforce. So tourism is great because tour, tourism hires a lot of those kids, trains them, gets them a work ethic, and then they will move on from there. I will tell you on the other end of it, I had AARP in my committee last week, and I said, what are you doing to help seniors stay engaged in the workforce? And, and basically the answer is nothing. And I asked the Bureau of Senior Services Commissioner yesterday afternoon the same thing. What are you doing instead of, I know we're talking about Meals on Wheels and we're, we're, we're giving services, but what, what are we doing to help them stay engaged? You know what? I'm still engaged and I'm a senior. You're still engaged, <laughs> you're a senior. It. Came but out of we, retirement to do that. Yes, exactly. See, that's what I am saying. Why don't we tap the older generation of people and, and let them work part-time? They can answer phones, they can be greeters, they can, they can be substitutes, they can do all sorts of things. And, and they don't care about the, 
the, the money as much as somebody that's at the lower end getting started. There's all sorts of things that we can do there. And basically the answer was that, that the Bureau for Senior Services has Title V that is available for senior citizens that's supposed to help them get to work. I said, you were the first one that's ever told me that and I've been asking this question for now four years. And so I'm interested and I will bring them into my committee because the, the older generation, the retired folks, don't know how to pursue getting a job and helping us. And we have jobs everywhere and they could help us and it would, make, it would add value to their life. And I think two magic words that you said in there were work ethic. If we can establish not just teaching young people the ABCs and how to do a particular trade or job, but get that work ethic established in that 16 to 24 year old age, uh, I think that may be half of it or a big part of it. Gentlemen, I wanna thank you so much for being here. I think that, I know your committees aren't major committees, but they are, they're deal with major situations and major problems. So I thanks, thank you for the work that you've done here, uh, Delegate Orell and Senator Roland Roberts. And Bob, I'll send it back to you. Thanks for that, Randy. Tune in to the legislature today, Monday through Friday at six. We'll have more news and interviews from the 2023 legislative session. And remember, West Virginia Public Broadcasting is covering the session daily in our radio news program, West Virginia Morning, and on our news site at wvpublic.org. We also broadcast the daily floor sessions of both the House and Senate on the West Virginia channel, and we stream those on YouTube as well. I'm Bob Brunner. Thanks for joining us. Have a great evening. Support for the legislature today is provided by Marshall University, committed to teaching, research, and professional training with degree programs in multiple locations and online. More about the Marshall family at marshall.edu. Embassy Suites by Hilton Charleston, an all-suite hotel and conference center minutes from Yeager Airport and Capital Market. Reservations and brasserie dining information available at Hilton.com. Segra, providing fiber-based communication solutions. Segra, freedom to grow. More information at Segra.com.